Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lifty podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lifting Podcast brought to you by Hunt Lifting Official. Don't worry, Scotty. I'll edit that out. Dude, sorry. And, <laughs> it's okay. Just sorry. And, uh, <laughs> we're stoked to have you guys. We're stoked to have you guys back for another awesome episode. We got uh, we got the crew here tonight. We got Bobby and Scotty joining me tonight. What's going on, fellas? What's up, Carter? Happy to be back, man. Super pumped for this episode. Heck yeah, man. Bobby? Yeah. Same old, same old. You know I'm damn excited for this episode. I had to put my dogs away just so I can hear everything clearer. And, you know, this is uh, this is going to be a good one for sure. Yeah, this one's right up your alley, man. So uh, shout out to Scotty for putting this together and uh, kind of introducing us to our, our guest this week. We got Anthony Farrell, um, who we're stoked to have on the podcast this week, um, owner and operator of uh, Fetching Feathers. And Anthony, welcome to the podcast, man. Let's go, boys. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm stoked to... Uh, to get on the horn with you guys, you know, I checked out your podcast when Scotty reached out and listened to a couple episodes and I was like, yeah, this will be, this will be an easy flow uh, to sit down with some boys for an hour and, and talk about bird dogs and camping and all the things that make uh, Fetching Feathers and Anthony, you know, who we are and what we do. Hell yeah, man. If you can believe it or not, this is not a scripted show, Anthony. Oh, oh, oh fantastic. That's great. <laughs> I, I came unprepared, if so, which wouldn't be unlike me just to show up with gun and vest in hand and say, what are we doing? But I'm game with it, man. Let's, yeah. let's split ball. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect, man. That's right up our alley. You know, we uh, we like to call off podcasts if somebody shoots a deer or has to clean some birds or something like that. It's an appropriate excuse to, uh, to miss out here. Yeah, man. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Heck yeah. Why don't you, why don't we just jump right in it, man? Why don't you tell us about you and what is Fetching Feathers? Sure, man. Um, again, first off, thank you guys for having me on. Always an opportunity um, to talk about, number one, what I love um, within bird dogs and obviously any opportunity to talk about the uplands. I feel like the uplands and the upland community is continuously like jet lag from every other sector of hunting, whether it comes from the media or the gear, or the hype, or the TV presence, this Upland community in general is kind of forgotten. So um, always excited to talk about what bird dogs and, and the things that fire me up. Um, so I, uh, I grew up in Kansas City in an Italian family, didn't, didn't grow up hunting or, or any, anything like that with my family. Ended up going to uh, Kansas State uh, for college, and that's really where I met a bunch of guys and my passion for hunting took off. So I was kind of a late bloomer, but since since then, man, it has been foot on the gas. There's this old saying this old boy taught me from Texas, and he said, Anthony, you got you got two options in life. And he said, you either burn out or you rust out. He said, if you burn out, you went out with your foot on the gas. If you rust out, you put it in park and you quit. And it was just something that resonated with me from business to friendships and to even more so with this thing called fetching feathers. So uh, man, my foot's on the gas and I'm going to burn out. I promise you that. So 
Um, I, I started fetching feathers as like a, a screen printing clothing line and hats and t-shirts and just in general. Cause when you go to the Cabela's or the Bass Pros or the Gander Mountains, uh, when you see a t-shirt, it's a black lab on it. And when you go to the Upland hunting section, again, the Upland hunting community, I feel like is just jet lagged. Um, and the clothing department is, is a fantastic opportunity to talk about. But you go to the turkey section, three or four aisles. You go to the deer hunting section, three, four aisles. You go to the waterfowl section, right? A whole gosh dang wall full of stuff. And then you go over to the upland hunting section and you get two carousels and an end cap with some tan and orange blocky SpongeBob SquarePants hunting shirt. And you just look like a goon in the uplands. And I was just like, man, when was the last time somebody looked at upland gear and was like, yo, let's go upland hunt. This shit looks cool. You don't check out that gear. What's this about? Like never, nobody says that. And it just like, dude, I took it personal, you know, and I wasn't even in this community. I wasn't a, a business owner at the time, right? I was a consumer, but I was a frustrated consumer because I had to wear jerk off clothes that, 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 uh, you know, Cabela's offered. And so I started to say, you know what, let's go for it. Let's come up with a, a, a creative name. Let's come up with a brand. Um, I went to school for marketing and advertising. So my mind kind of worked in that, that sector anyways. I knew I never wanted to be a long-term corporate guy. And so here it was, right? I dove in, created fetching feathers, hats, t-shirts. And then all of a sudden, boom, it started blowing up. I started shipping, you know, little local stuff. And then it started to go to obviously multiple states. And then Canada started to hit me up. And then I started to get orders from Mexico. And then all of a sudden, UK started chiming in. And I'm shipping hats and t-shirts, like screen print hats and t-shirts to Europe. And I was like, wait a minute. This is a this is this is a gap everywhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, I started I started, let's see, that was 2016 when I started the clothing line. Since then, now we've got four or five different uh, you know, upland vest brands that have come out. There's three or four different new clothing lines that have come out with the hats and the t-shirts and the stickers. And the demographic is getting younger, and we're starting to tap into that 25 to 38 range instead of it being 42 to 60, which is typically the demographic of what the Upland representation has been, which is also why the Uplands has been kind of jet lagged and dying is because it is kind of an old boy time feel to it. And there is that allure of expensive guns and expensive dogs, and you got to have all these things. And so it, it's deterred a lot of young people from doing it. Well, now all of a sudden we've got people like Final Rise and those guys and they're young and everybody that's rocking their stuff and they're going and kicking dirt and chucker hunting and doing those things. And we're starting to really see a lot of different companies make a difference in this community. And so Fetching Feathers is just one of those. Um, so that's kind of where it started. From there, we transitioned to had a bad thing happen in my life in 2018, lost some bird dogs in an unfortunate situation. And it's sprung me to say, I'm going to train dogs the rest of my life because that's the only way I could not kind of blame myself for the house fire that happened and not being able to save my dogs in that situation. I had never been a dog trainer at the time. I said, screw it, found a kennel, found the land, dove all in, burnout mentality, foot on the gas, and here we are. I'm rocking and rolling, dude, kennels full. We're putting out fantastic dogs, and I'm a blessed man. 
Dude, Anthony, you're getting me freaking fired up right now. I, I seriously, man, I'm so pumped up right now. Uh, you know, and I, you just echoed everything kind of that I've always kind of been thinking about, you know, upland game hunting me, you know, I, I don't have a lot of experience doing it, but I just felt like it was just like this untouched arena that, you know, uh, that I didn't really have access to, you know? So I love that there's somebody motivated out there like you, um, that's wanting to get stuff out there to kind of really draw in this, uh, you know, younger generation of hunters, you know, and, and when I say younger, you know, at least it, like I said, you said it, I mean, I've always thought of upland game hunters as mostly older kind of old boys, you know, out there. Um, and I just never really felt like I, I could, you know, put my grasp on it. You know, I don't, didn't have a dog. I didn't have anywhere to go or do anything, but you know, just seeing you and your Instagram and stuff, it, it got me fired up. And I, I was, and now I'm even more fired up hearing you actually talk about it. And so I knew that, you know, that, you know, more people need to hear your message, you know, absolutely, man. So dude, I love that. Yeah, man, we're just getting started. It's, it's about to get, it's about to get rowdy, dude. Like y'all are getting ready to tap into some, some Morpheus, some whole, whole nother level stuff, man. When you get me going about about what I love about the uplands. So yeah, man, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I got started, started young, started the clothing, met a bunch of people, fell in love with the dogs and the dog work, decided I was going to dedicate my life to it. Now we're, we're sitting down chopping it up. Absolutely. Awesome. I'm literally sitting here. Everything that you just said, I'm just on mute just saying, fuck yeah, he's right. Yeah. Fucking, fucking a, yeah. Going to Cabela's is one aisle. And I'm like, it's a million times we've all done it. You go and you're like, Great, we can see the same orange vest over and over again, the same booties that our dog wears that nobody ever puts on, the same yeah. cowbell in every location. That's it. That's the aisles tap then. You're done. Yeah, and then we all get that, like you said, that vest that everybody has, that Cabela's vest that nobody wears anymore. Super outdated. You are 100% right there. Nailed it. Yeah. There's a, there's a gap in the market. I think the clothing line is still wide open. Um, because it's still screen printing, you know, and I think that we can touch on this later, but this is the direction that Fetching Feathers is going to go. Um, I'm going to come out with my own signature plaid, Fetching Feathers plaid, and some shooting shirts, and some leather shooting gloves, and some of my own goods. Like, I really want to tap deeper into the clothing line. I, I uh, there's, just, there's just so much to be had. Then you got companies like, you know, Ball and Buck, uh, which is kind of that idea that I'm looking at. It's it's not too fancy to where we're getting too far on the European side of the uplands, but it is definitely nicer than the Cabela's shirt that I talk about. Right. Um, and it's at a decent price point, still kind of pricey for a lot of people. And I don't know, for me, I buy those things, but my business to me is like that. I had that cliche of like, stay true to who you are. And I'm just a Kansas kid. Um, there's this saying of like, you know, I shit between a pair of work boots like you do. I'm the exact same person as every dude that wakes up and puts a pair of work boots on and goes to work. And I think that's what I want my business to always represent. So for me, the clothing, like I want it to be that blue collar clothing to where it doesn't feel too fancy, but a, a gentleman might feel like he is dressed up a little bit in it. It's nicer than something he might typically wear, but the price point doesn't say so. Right. Um, and I think that there is that, that niche in the market still where you're ahead of the screen print, but you're kind of under the, the upper echelon of, of the clothing line stuff. So I don't know, man, uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gaps to fill. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fill a lot of them, but we'll, we'll see, you know, I'm only one person and I can only do so much. 
Yeah. So Anthony, so uh, how does a guy like you go from, you know, uh, d- you know, becoming a dog trainer at, at your level with, you know, I guess, I mean, I want to, I mean, I don't know, but little to no experience doing it. <laughs> Yo, let's go. Come on. What a question. This is, this is <laughs> awesome. uh, all right. First off, uh, I'm going to say it. Don't, uh, don't, don't tune out followers and listeners. I'm not going to preach this one to you, but it's going to start with that big G word. And his name is God. Um, man, this is, this is who I am. I, I am a man of faith. I was not a man of faith. I was lost. I was as dirty as they come, man. I was in the gutter. I was the partier. I was the this. I was the that. Uh, long and short, man, God's got a lot to do with how this business happened and how I found the kennel that I train at now. And I'm not going to get into that long story in this one, but there's a lot of things. Some people call it the universe. You, uh, I call it God. So that that was the first way, man. When you have a passion for something, it becomes very easy to become a student of it. Something that I struggle with my entire life. And I think that a lot of, of, of young women and men, I can only speak to, to myself as a young man, but I know that a lot of men struggle with, with school and the way that we grew up and that structure and sitting in class and like being talked to or talked down to and like just sitting there and listening like that. That's not the way that real people learn. And, and maybe when when the schooling system was put together years and years and years ago, that structure and, and the way of that that form was necessary. But I struggled in school. I was an awful student. I, I was a terrible student from elementary school all the way to college. Man, I did a victory lap. It, I did five years for a marketing degree instead of four. I took a whole year victory to bask in the glory that which was K-State and, and Aggieville, but truly I was just a piss poor student. <laughs> um, but but the point is, is that I, I never have found something that made me feel like watching a dog work made me feel. When I first saw it, my freshman year of college, it was uh, in Gove, Kansas. And I saw a Vishla and a short hair working. And anyways, cut cornfield dogs go on point roosters flush we let it rip and it was just like this mind-blowing experience for me it was at 18 19 years old something that at 18 and 19 you don't experience a lot of firsts anymore right you're you you're kind of grown you've been through life you understand relationships and feelings and you've been to roller coasters and parks and you know the thrills and all the things of life and all of a sudden at 18 19 i just experienced something that floored me for the first time and I couldn't let go of that feeling. So I did a, a, um, a short film with Project Upland a few years back and it was called Revel in the First. And something that I built my business and my life is like really spending the time to revel in the moment of experiencing firsts in life because they only happen once, right? It's a first. Yeah. And so now at age 37, I still experience first here and there, and I make sure that I spend an extra two or three minutes in that moment to be still and to focus on those things. And the Uplands for me has provided so many different firsts that I think that's the allure and the excitement is that I've been upland hunting now for 20 years, and I'm still experiencing new things 20 years into it, right? Um, I'm three species away from shooting the North America slam right now, which is every North America upland game bird species. Not only am I three species away from that, I have shot every one of those species over the two dogs who I replaced the dogs who I lost in the house fire. So I lost these dogs in a house fire and I brought litter mates and their names are Smoke and Fuego. 
smoke and fire, which is how my dogs died. So I am three species away of shooting the North America Slam over these two four-year-old dogs named Smoke and Fuego, which is how I became the dog trainer that I am, right? So this is a whole for a full circle thing for me. Um, and I'm three species away from experiencing the last first of the uplands in the United States. And then my golden plan, and I guess, hell, why not? Let's drop my plan right now um, for the first time publicly. After I shoot the North America slam, that means I have every Onyx pin for every species in the United States. So the hard part's done. My next thing is, is I want to do something no one has ever done in the history of the uplands ever. And I'm going to shoot the North America slam on film in one season. That is my goal. If I have all of the pins already saved, if I have the time to take off of work because I shut my business down, then what's your excuse, right? Grab the cameraman, pay for him to follow you the whole time. And I'm, again, this is a lifelong goal, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm young still, if you will. This is not something that I'm putting this proclamation of I'm doing it next season. But there will be a time before I die and before God says my knees can't walk up and down mountains anymore. My goal, my legacy of what I'm going to leave behind is Anthony Farrow of Fetching Feathers, the little business now that will once one, hum, one day be huge. I'm going to shoot the North America Slam on film in one season, right? That's my plan. So we went from T-shirts and stickers to the North America Slam on film in one season, right? And, and that was from 2016 to 2022. So my goals have grown tremendously in the six years that I've been a business owner and operator. And if I, if I thought that way in six years, wait for six more years, right? That's my mentality. Wait, wait what I do with the next six years. And shout out, I just got married three weeks ago. Love you, honey. Now that I have a wife and a purpose, instead of just hunting for me as an upland bum, as just this dude that eats Uncrustables and travels across the road in his F-250 with his bird dogs and stinks like bush light in Copenhagen. See, now I got a wife, right? Now I got a purpose. Now there's a reason. Now there's someone to impress with this, right? Now there's someone to make proud. Um, and you guys thought I was dangerous before I had a wife. Boy, watch out. I'm, I'm getting ready to shock the world, man. <laughs> Man, Anthony, I've known you for 19 minutes, and I want to spend every day with you forever. Yeah, I like to say, like I'm in, dude. You have my you have my full support and whatever my stamp of approval means, which is not much, but dude, I'm in. I'm so no, I, in. I appreciate you, man. I uh, I I have this thirst for this community and 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 for the woods, man. And you know, it's on a lot deeper level too. You know, that's where I find solace. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's where it all makes sense. That's where it goes away. That's where I face my insecurities and it's not offensive. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm approachable in the woods. I'm, 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 I'm much more keen to myself. There's much more of an introspective look and feel when I spend the amount of time upland hunting that I do and the miles that you spend, you know, I mean, God, if you were to, to, to log the amount of miles per, per bird contacts, it's pitiful. Oh my God, it's awful, yeah. man. I am walking so much without any action. Um, but, you know, obviously I think that's where we decide what are your goals? You know, and here's another allure of the uplands um, that is just so dope, man, about, about upland hunting and chasing birds is like each hunt, you can decide what your goal is. Like what, what is success to you, right? Is success just bagging birds, which it is to most hunters. And this is where most people make mistake, right? Because if, oh, yeah, 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 you know, uh, uh, Scotty went hunting, uh, deer hunting for two weeks, man. Did you kill anything? Oh, no, you didn't? That sucks. What a waste of time. 
that's the the buddy's response because he didn't kill anything. You the substance that Scotty got in those two weeks in the woods, um, and and the introspective moments that he had, and thinking about his family and his wife and his kids, or or his job, and and those things, all those things work themselves out. You know, when you're out in the upland, so you get this opportunity to decide what your goal is, and I'm I'm not going to be the guy that's like, you know, oh, I'm just out there to run my dogs and. You know, if we get something great, but if we don't, it was just a great time in the woods. Like that's the okie doke response. And sure, I, I have that sentiment, um, but I get blood drunk just like anybody else. And there are days where my goal is to go out and slap birds in the beak straight up. My job is to pull the trigger and put birds in the bag. There's days that I need that, right? Gunpowder therapy. We've all heard of it. I need that aromatherapy. I need to smell that sweet smell of that boss with sweet 16 gauge just coming out of my barrel and my dog's bringing birds back, man. Come on. I need yeah. that in my life. But there are a lot of moments where sometimes action isn't exactly what I need. And there's just moments where I need a long walk in the woods with my gun and my dog. Um, and those happen whether you want them or not, because that's the nature of the uplands. There's just not enough birds per mile that you're going to walk. And when you walk and hunt public land like I do, you know, I, I built my career off of public land. And, and that's why this idea of like, well, I don't know where to go and I don't have the land. That's not an excuse, man. That's not an excuse. There's something called Onyx now. All you have to do is open it and you will absolutely be surrounded in upland territory. And then, you know, you get in and you do your research. Everybody needs to know whatever you're hunting, whether this is big game, whether this is birds, whether this is fur trapping, you need food, you need cover. You need water. Identify those three things. If you're a new, if you're a new hunter, a listener, find food, cover, and water when you're driving around with your Onyx open. And if it looks like there's some good grass and there's some good tree rows for cover, and there might be some water in the creek, or there might be some agriculture or cut corn or milo adjacent, drop the tailgate and kick dirt. That's the only way you're going to find birds. And man, I just I fell in love with this idea and this mantra of keep kicking dirt. You know the motto of my business and. That's what it is, man. Dropping the tailgate and kicking dirt until you eventually succeed. Yeah, man. That's 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 the way we approach it. Dude, I love it. I feel like I'm in bird church right now and you're preaching, you know, everybody's freaking language. And, you know, here at Hunt Left Eve, man, we've got a ton of men and women who are grinding, you know, just like you out in the woods, you know, doing what they do, pursuing their passions and, and working their jobs and um Dude, uh, pounding dirt, kicking dirt, you know, that's what, that's what I feel like hunt, left, eat. That's what everybody's doing right now. It, it's that season to pound some dirt and, uh, man, you're preaching, you're preaching everybody's language, man. I love it. Yeah. I hope you guys are feeling it. It's cool, man. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm a huge upland hunter and I, I thought it, well, let me rephrase that. I thought I was a huge upland hunter until I just met you now. And now I just feel like a little tiny ant and I, I would follow you and pick up your dog shit when you do uh go do that that grand slam man that's wild but i gotta know what what are the three species that you haven't gotten yet because now i mean i can't get that out of my head of what the three are right now yeah yeah sure so um ptarmigan is one of them um i have ptarmigan local here in colorado where i live i went on a ptarmigan hunt last year and i got up to about fourteen and a half thousand feet and i lost gps service with my dog and come to find out, I ended up losing him for two hours. He ended up getting porcupine and had porcupine quills in his eyeball, and he was under a willow. Oh, so great. my first ptarmigan hunt skunked because of a damn porcupine. Uh, woodcock is uh, – I've never shot a woodcock. 
<laughs> and the uh, third one, which I already have planned uh, for December in California, is mountain quail, uh, which will also be the last quail I need to shoot uh, the quail slam as well. So I'll be finishing the North America quail slam while finishing the North America upland bird slam altogether. Hell yeah. uh, now, now hold on. Before any listeners start fact checking and the haters that I've got are listening in and they're going to search all the species, there's two asterisks and I'm going to help you chumps out so you don't have to search them, okay? A chakalaka is number one. And it's a bird in Texas and it's a cousin of a roadrunner. You cannot, you cannot hunt that bird with a dog and get it pointed, okay? It's a running bird. You either shoot it on the wing or you shoot it while it runs. The other one is the Himalayan snowcock. And again, you can't hunt that, that bird with a dog. So let's, let's get back to the idea. The name of my business is fetching feathers. You can't fetch feathers without a dog. If I can't bring my dog hunting, I'm not hunting you. Okay. I don't hunt deer. I don't hunt elk. I do hunt turkeys. So I guess there's another asterisk. Call me out on that one. I do hunt turkeys. <laughs> and I don't bring my dogs. But the point is, is that, man, I, I'm, I'm in it for the dogs. So Chakalaka and Himalayan snowcock will be asterisks, which maybe I'll get. Maybe, maybe I won't. Probably not, just because I'm not interested. So yeah, long and short, man. I'm a long-winded. You guys got to tell me to shut up. Um, no. <laughs> uh, woodcock, ptarmigan, mountain quail. Well, Scotty can help you with the mountain quail, and I'll definitely help you with the woodcock. So now, now we can help you compete on that. Oh, I just got my first really. woodcock. Scotty, you got year, the low on the mountain quail. Dude, you know what? It, it was crazy. I was, uh, it's funny that you brought that up because there's, there's quail here where I live just around the neighborhoods and stuff. And I love them when they're running around with their little chicks and stuff, but we were up bear hunting up North and uh, we we're just kind of, um, sitting in a little, you know, we were tucked in and, um, just probably 50 mountain quail came walking down the hillside right behind us. And my buddy that I was with, um, was like, dude, those are mountain quail. Those are mountain quail. You don't see those around very much. Nope. And it was the first time I've ever seen one. They were beautiful birds. And, um, and I knew, I knew they were quail. I knew they looked different than a typical, um, you know, the quail we have around here. Um, and so I felt like, oh man, that was a pretty unique experience. And they fed there around us for about 20 minutes, just feeding right behind us. And, uh, so yeah, man, dude, I got the lock on it if you need it. Yeah. We'll see what comes of it. I'm, I'm supposed to be hunting like Northern California for them. So, yep. um, Every year I go to Idaho where the house fire was, that's December 4th. And this will be the fourth year. And I hunt the same field that I did the day before the fire to that with my dogs that, that pass. And then I go visit the place where the house was. And then I hunt the fields behind the house. Um, there's some BLM back there behind the house. So I go to Idaho every year to uh, celebrate those boys uh, with my new dogs. And obviously Idaho is a beautiful place and it's loaded with birds. So I mean, it's not like it's a sad thing for me anymore. This isn't a pity party deal. It's more of a celebration. And those dogs didn't die in vain. And they've created this this passion in me that that you guys are listening and hearing now. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are like, dude, tell this guy to chill out. Um, man, it's, uh, it's, it's 630 and I put in a 10-hour day at the kennel. And this is just, man, this is just that hunger that I have for it. And you know, the same people that tell me to chill out are the same people that wish that they had a business. The same right. people that, that, that don't like my passion or can't handle somebody who, who feels it the way that we feel it are the same people that sit at home and say, man, wish I could do that. Man, this, it's Tuesday and this guy's out hunting birds. I wish I was doing that, right? 
so it, it takes a little bit of chaos um, to create this this lifestyle and to be able to to do what you want and you know chase birds and and not only get to do it but to to pay your bills and 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 you know to to flourish doing it and holy moly man what a blessing right like I I I I I literally I get. I pay my bills training folks dogs to be good house dogs and great hunting dogs I, I get to shoot you know chucker on the ranch three days a week over these dogs like what a what a dream man you know so side note whoever whoever thinks that their dream is unattainable get it and get it better than everybody you've ever seen do it everybody that you're watching on instagram do it better than them i'm telling you man like there's there is no end to what you can do if you're passionate about something. And again, it's like I said, man, I shit between my boots just like every other man. I did it. I'm just kid from Kansas. I grew up in an Italian family. Nobody hunts in my family. They got blowbacks and wear gold chains and talk with their hands and yada, yada, you know, like I didn't grow up this way, but you, you know, that's the passion that's in it. So I don't know, man, it's pretty wicked. Yeah, life is good, man. There's a lot to be thankful for. And I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, I feel like people can get caught up in this. Like, I don't know. It's it's good to have perspective and take a step back and, and be thankful. Like, life is good, man. Life is life is really good. Yeah, super good. Yeah. Even when it's not, you know. Even yeah, 100%. Bitch about, about like, you know, 540 at the gallon, you know, a gallon at the pump and all the political environment things that we're constantly seeing in front of us every day and, and bitching about like, dude, life is still really, really, really good. Absolutely. Everybody that's listening to this and, and uh, us, us four sitting here, like, dude, we're, we're blessed people. And, um, you know, it's, it's a Wednesday night and we're talking about birds for leisure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I say that all the time when I get on with these two, I'm like, this is the, you know, I love my job. I freaking love my job, but this is like, my favorite part of the day is to do this right before, right before I go to bed, like get to talk hunting with cool people around, around the country. Like, come on, what are we even talking about? Life is, life is good, man. It's the best. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. And also yeah. like, I think like you, you Upland folks, you and Bobby, Bobby was only the, the only diehard Upland guy I know before uh, meeting you, Anthony, but I think y'all have something in common. You're just like Upland folks are just like real energetic and like, go get it type of people because bobby he's hiding it really well tonight but he, it's he's, our dogs man he gets fired yeah. up about it. bingo yeah have you ever seen a gsp's energy they're fucking off the rails so we just have to match their energy is pretty much what we do everybody if you look it up they're like oh gsps are crazy i you know only only crazy people have them well i guess i'm fucking crazy because i got three yeah. of them so yeah you can count me in on that one too you can group me into that that bunch too because yeah. I'm, I'm about it um, you know, and obviously keeping up with your dog is one thing, but, um, it's just, it's something bigger than that, man. And, and I can't take away from big game hunters or waterfowl hunters or anything like that. Um, but I don't know, there's just, there's this something about chasing birds over dogs in the places that we go and see yep. that you just can't deny that it, 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 it affects you. It is, it is for the people who do it more than just three or four hunts a year. It is, it is who I am. It is my genetic makeup. It is, it is, it is my fiber, you know, and I don't care how weird I sound right now. It's exactly what it is, man. It is, it is built into who I am and how I treat people 
and the way that I go about my relationships and my day and the way I communicate. And I think a lot of that is, is the presence of the dog and being aware of, of the dogs and the psychology that goes into training dogs, right? So not only do I do yeah. this in the off-season hunting with my personal crew, um, but I train dogs seven days a week for nine months out of the year for clients, right? So I, I, I am a rare individual in that I am honestly spend more time with dogs than I do with human beings in a 365 day period. I'm with dogs 10, 12 hours a day. I see my wife for four hours a day. I've spent more time that. with dogs. I than need that. Like, what is going on, dude? You know what I'm saying? Like, I take pictures of dog shit and send it to their owners. And I'm like, your dog's really healthy. And people are like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a kennel. We talk shit around here. The dog is thriving. We are in a good place. Look at this log. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Dude, I'm right there with you, man. The pack, it's like, Anytime you go on a hunt, it's a great hunt, Like you, whether you're going for a deer or anything like that. But when I go up when hunting and we get a bird and my dog brings it back to me and he drops it by my legs and when he sits down and lo- we lock eyes and look up, it is just like the best connection ever between me and my dog. And we're just like, yeah, man, we just did that because we all, I feel like he, we don't share any words because he can't talk, obviously. And I, we just have such a bond and connection and we're just like, yeah, we got another one. And I mean... I posted a TikTok a while back ago of me grabbing my dog's bell for his collar, and I just rang in all three of them, just bolt to the garage because they know, like, hey, let's fucking go. Like the passion yeah. between those dogs, man, they're always ready to go at yeah. any moment. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, that idea of man's best friend, and we all grew up with dogs at home and house dogs and things of that nature, right? Well, as adults, you just get to take it to the next level. Your your dog not only is your best friend at home, but now your dog is your best friend in the field and. It's like you said, you know, and waterfowl guys definitely relate to this. And I foul hunt. You know, my logo is a, a pheasant feather and a mallard drake curl is the two feathers back to back is my logo. And, um, I, you know, I duck hunted a lot in, in the past, not as much now. But nonetheless, it's it's the bond with the dog. When you go through, it's, 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 like, it's like maybe you just met a buddy. Uh, okay, let's just say theoretically I know a guy and he went to college and he joined a fraternity and he met a bunch of new dudes, right? And then in the first couple of weeks, the guys got drunk and they ended up fighting, getting in a fight with some people and they fought together. And then all of a sudden, this bond of dudes that never met each other became this brotherhood of guys who have known each other their entire lives. Um, I can't, I, I have military family. I've, I had never served, so I don't want to overspeak um, or step in places that, that I shouldn't. Uh, but it is much the same as if you will, going to war with somebody, fighting with somebody, battling with somebody, uh, a football team is that same mentality. The guys in the locker room, when you bleed together and you hit people together, there's this bond that is created. Now you take the same concept with a dog, right? That, that is dependent on you to get to the place you're going to get in the truck, to get there, to, to have the hunting vest or whatever it takes to, to hunt. That dog's dependent on you to get there. But when you get there, you are dependent on the dog in order to get the birds. And it's a time where us as humans who are on the upper echelon, the top of the food chain, are dependent on something that's considered less than us to help us produce. Dude, that idea is fucking mind-blowing to me and fires me up. I'm not finding these birds without my dogs. This hunt doesn't exist without these dogs. I don't smell these birds and point them. I don't retrieve these birds to hand. Like, I love this idea of being humbled that my dog is making this happen for me as much as I'm making this happen for my dog. 
And when you go through snowstorms and it's blowing 35 mile an hour and the snow's blasting you in the face and you're hunting ditches after roosters, or when you're early season September and you're up in the mountains at 85 degrees hunting sharp tail grouse, or you're down in the desert taking choyo cactus to the legs and to the feet chasing desert quail, that's the battle. That's the war. And we're going through it together. It hurts all of us. But the, 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 the succeed, the, the, the end goal, the fact that we've sweat and the blood and the tears, the cliche, and then we produce and there's birds in bag and we clean those birds and we eat those birds for nourishment. Pingo. That's fetching feathers, boys. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Man, and it, it goes, I mean, it, it's so special, man. It's everything that you're talking about. And, and it, you know, when your dog wants to, he, he seeks your approval. He wants to do everything that you need him to do for you. You know, it's, you know, he's, he's there for you. And, and there's just an amazing bond there that, um, I can see why you're so passionate about it because, you know, it's more than just hunting. It's, it, it, it's everything, you know, it's life. It's, you know, it's what God created us to do. It's what God created these dogs to do essentially, you know, and it's, it's bred in them and, uh, and you're, you're just doing, you know, you're doing God's work by bringing it out of them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and you get to, you know, everybody benefits from it at the end of the day. Yeah, there is, you know, I had this guy, you know, internet trill hit me up. Oh, I don't know, a month or so ago. And he messaged me and he said, you know, don't, don't you feel bad for killing all these birds and glorifying all this death? And I, my simple response to him was not everybody was meant to be a hunter. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there was this this awkward silence, and for him, it was a humbling moment because in I backhand complimented him, and or backhand, you know, put him in and told him basically he was a gatherer, and that you don't understand what we do because you're the gatherer, you're the gatherer mindset, so you shouldn't understand what this is, and you should be offended by it because the idea of carrying around a basket and gathering if you know foliage and fruits, fruits and berries and twigs and seeds is just as offensive to somebody like myself. I'm not picking up a basket and going and, and, and getting fruits and berries, man. It's not who I am by nature. That's offensive to me, right? I'm a man, M-A-N. That's what I do. That's who we are. That's what God made me. And inside of me somewhere is this passion to hunt and to provide. And I don't know. It's not this like, oh, listen, this dude, and this big dick contest and all this, man, because I'm not that guy. I cry more than anybody I know, man, straight up. Just got married, the all day long cried, all day. <laughs> I've been looking at the pictures three weeks later, and I still cry. And Kate looks at me on the couch like seriously, and I'm like, can't help it. Um, so I'm not that big tough dude, um, and that's funny. And I know this is a this is a great thing that you always see, but you know the idea of like the people that hunt are the best conservationists, and the people that hunt care the most. And you see these grown men harvest elk and deer and shed tears mm-hmm. over it. It is a very emotional thing. So I'm not this big burly dude at all. Um, but there is that instinctual hunter inside of me that I can't deny. Um, so I just decided to make my career to, to fill that instinct, you know, on a daily basis. Hey, everybody. We'd like to give a special shout out to our podcast sponsor, Rack Getter Sense and Lures. Like Hunt, Lift, Eat, Rack Getter Sense is a veteran owned and operated company with a personal touch. Gerard, their owner, is a former Marine and firefighter who will walk you step-by-step through the buy-in process with a personal touch. I reached out to him and he gave me his personal cell phone number and walked me through his products and the buying experience could not have been more efficient. 
My favorite product of his is the Hot to Trot Dough and Heat scent, and I use it religiously through the rut with consistent results. Many of our Hunt, Lift, Eat team members are loyal customers of Rack Getter Scents and Lures, and we use his products year after year to help them execute in the field. Follow them on their Instagram at RackGetterSense2.0 and check out their products at RackGetterSense.net to start luring in your next big buck. No, I get that, man. And like, you know, I uh, shed a couple tears over an Axis deer I killed in Hawaii uh, in September because it was a culmination of like being on the side of the Pacific Ocean and like under this big, huge sky and like in this beautiful landscape that God created and this beautiful creature right before me. And I was like by myself and just accomplished something that I never thought I would experience before. And, you know, definitely cried at my wedding too. And like, I, I get it, man. Like, you know, but it's, it's, it's something innate. It's something inside you that can't be denied is something that we all have to, you have to pursue, right? Like I totally understand what you're saying. It's a strange double-edged sword for a lot of people to understand that you can be somebody that kills for essentially enjoyment. It is yeah. fun hunting, right? Yeah. No hunter can honestly deny that. Now I've heard some hunters say that they don't like the killing part and, and they, they feel bad and remorse for that. And I can't relate to that, but I, I, I can understand the, the idea of that. You know, there is the allure, like this is a blood sport. Okay. Here's something. Let me go on a tangent here, man. While we're talking about this, this shit blows my mind, man. This drives me absolutely crazy. I had a picture of a rooster on the side of my truck bed and he had some blood coming out of his mouth and it was a drizzly day and it was dripping down the side of my truck and whomever a group of folks were all up in roar that there was blood and, and we have to remove the blood from the birds for the pictures. Uh, big game hunting is notorious for this, right? Turning the deer to the opposite angle of the entry and exit wound. So we don't see the blood and all of those things. Why? How can we, how can we, how can we dumb down what we're doing and act like, like for me, I see it, right? How can we dumb down the killing, right? We're, we're killing here. There's blood. We're harvesting and eating these animals, but we need to hide the blood for the picture. Why? Why? What does it make it any less gruesome or no, the animal was shot and killed by one of us, right? I, I don't know. For me, I just can't can't change for the gram, and I can't do it for the gram, right? The gram is what I built my business on, but I can't change who I am, and the birds bleed because there's blood inside of a bird. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood, Lafleur. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know, man. That's just like this idea of dumbing down what we do to remain PC – for being a, a hunter seems silly to me, you know? And like, I feel like Ranella does a pretty good job of keeping it real. Like animals get shot. He cleans them. He eats them. You know, I think he's probably our best example for all of us. Um, yet again, not a bird hunter. Um, you're not going to find a lot of bird hunters in the public eye that are, that are on the shows and that have that spotlight. And, you know, I hope that one day there is somebody that represents that. Obviously I'm chasing that, that role and, and trying to fill that void because no one else is. And, um, I, I don't give a darn if it's not me, but there needs to be that figurehead for the uplands, you know, somebody that's, that's relatable, the, the Michael Waddell, the Tony Vandemore, the, you know, the dude, the, the man that's like, this dude's doing it. The, the Ranella, like, you know, dude, love, I've seen every one of his episodes, but you can't bird hunt, bro. You, you come out and 
<laughs> get some quail or some chucker, man. Like, come on, man. Come something. On. We're like the we're like the the Kmart of hunting industry. You know, we're just the secondhand Plato's closet of hunters. It's just like, <laughs> why does no one love the uplands? Damn it. Dude, well, I'm telling you, Anthony, if anybody's going to do it, it's got to be you. I'm telling you, it's got to be you. And and uh, I I assume there is going to be a lot of people out there that will will uh, that you'll certainly entertain because there needs to be a face. There needs to be a voice for that arena, you know, within the hunting industry, man. And you're the perfect guy for it. I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know about. I appreciate that. Let me say thank you. I don't take compliments well, and this is something I'm conscious of. So I'm going to start by saying thank you. Um, I don't know if it's me, but right now I don't see anybody else doing it. And I've never been the guy. I've always been the white cow in the herd of black cows, man. I've always go against the grain, and it's not by to be spiteful or to purposely be different. It just seems to be my nature. And um, I am I am definitely loved in the uplands and have a super strong community. So all my followers right now that are listening to this and took the time, we appreciate it. Love you guys. Uh, Fetching Feathers doesn't exist without you guys. So shout out to you. Um, but I just there's nobody else is doing it, and so I'm 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 going for it, you know. And uh, I, I've been blessed to work with some of the bigger companies as of late uh, within the, uh, the bird hunting community. And I'm starting to sit at the table instead of serving the people at the table. And, um, it, those things take time. And I know that, and I'm, I'm being patient and I'm just kind of trying to let my work speak for itself rather than me reaching out to companies or sponsors or things of that nature and saying, Hey, I'm Anthony of fetching feathers with 25,000 followers. And I'm a great bird hunter. Want to work with me? That's just not my approach. And that just seems like, you know, influencer. I don't have pro staff this and pro staff that and couldn't have done it without my my protein, my cupcake protein powder today and conquered the chucker mountain without it, you know, like, <laughs> dude, get out of here with that. And if I had, you know, if I had cleavage, I also wouldn't pull it out for my bass pictures either. So again, like there's, there's things that need to be said and I just, I'm not a sellout and I'm going for it, dude. And I'm gunning. And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people that like me and support me. And there's a lot of folks that, that don't and create, you know, pages and rooms just to, to, to banter about it. But I feel like that's when you're starting to make the correct noise, you know? And so we're pushing in a positive direction and always focus on, on all the good things. And I'm thankful for all the companies I do work with and I'm stoked for the ones that I'm going to, you know? Yeah, that's Absolutely. awesome, man. Yeah. Can we talk about another part of your company, Anthony? Can we talk about the kennel? Can you tell us about the kennel? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started the kennel spring of 2019. And long and short, this is this is a rad story. Um, the summer before I moved to Idaho, there's a gentleman and his wife living on this property, and he trained dogs, and he passed. And I had a mutual friend who knew him, and he had a bunch of dogs at the kennel and horses and all these things going on and she was a widow and needed help. So I started to go out there, met Miss Janice, started helping out with the horses and mowing and the tractor work and moving bales and all that sort of stuff. Um, and he had a kennel and, and 80 acres uh, east of, of Denver. So then I moved to Idaho. That whole situation happened um, with the dogs. I moved back and asked Miss Janice, this is, this is why I'm so passionate, guys. This is the aha moment for everybody, I guess. This is a great question. 
I called Miss Janice after the fire and I said, I don't have anything except the clothes on my back. Okay. I want to buy a travel trailer and live in a trailer on your property and lease your property and your kennel from you and start my dog training business. I said, I'll do all the mowing, all the horse chores during the winter. I'll plow your driveway. Like I got, I'll, I'll maintain the ranch so you can still stay living here in return. Let me chase my dream of being a dog trainer. So we agreed upon that. And that's how fetching feathers, the kennel started. Um, she gave me an opportunity after the fire and I was the gentleman that filled in for her husband who passed, who needed to maintain her ranch. And five years later, I'm still training dogs and, and taking care of Miss Janice. Uh, we went to buy the property and she kind of broke down and didn't have anywhere to go in any family. And I just didn't have it in me to kick her out. So I told her she could stay living in the house on the property and I would live in the travel trailer and take care of her. And that's what I've done since the house fire. And not only did I get the opportunity to create my business, but uh, God gave me an opportunity to give back in that exact same moment that I needed to be given to. And I feel like it was probably the most important test that I've had as a, as a man is that I'm taking everything from you, Anthony, because you're, you just lost it all in the fire. And in the same time of me taking everything from you, I'm asking you to be a caregiver to a woman who also has nothing. And I, I was able in the moment of stillness somewhere along all those long upland walks to realize the test that was in front of me. And I said, let's do it. You think I'm going to fail this one? I'm taking care of her. Let's go. And so that's how I started the kennel. And it's just a 16 run kennel, man. It's a 20 year old building. Um, I've done a lot of upgrades and just did, you know, spray foam insulation and put a heater in it, put a swamp cooler in it. I've got, you know, $120 Carando lifted dog beds for all the dogs and gallon and a half water dishes and, uh, you know, 10 foot by four foot runs on the outside and four foot by four foot runs on the inside. So I train about 20 dogs at a time. Um, I open my business February and I close October and I work seven days a week for nine months straight so I can have the opportunity to shut my business down come hunting season and go do what I love the most. So that's how I started the kennel. Uh, I, I never trained dogs professionally. I trained personal dogs. I helped out with friends, dogs, but, um, fake it till you make it. Uh, I rolled the dice five deuce faux tray, man. I was, I was rolling sevens, man. I, every time I picked the dice up and blew on him, it was a seven and I just could not strike out and I rolled with it and I started to learn and then I started to ask questions. And then I went and visited a couple kennels and asked them to be a kennel hand for a long weekend so I could see how they work and how they operated and how they ran their business and what their day-to-day -day looked like and how they clean their kennel and what products they use to clean their kennel and how they communicate with, uh, with their clients. And so I started to take notes from every kennel and instead of being a dick and, and picking things out about kennels that I didn't like, I found everything about every kennel that I visited or talked to and I picked out one or two things that I thought was exemplary of that kennel and that made that kennel stick out. And I put all those things together, that melting pot, and that's how I created Fetching Feathers. So then I started to do report cards for all my clients. So they get bi-weekly report cards on their dogs, which just clients love that idea. Um, I send two videos a week of their dog being trained by me and set my phone up and do the training so you can see what's going on and, and those type of things. Uh, and then um, just the, the media. I bought a camera when I started Fetching Feathers and took a couple camera classes and that was also outside of the clothing. The biggest niche that I saw in the upland community was the media. 
everybody's doing badass short films and reels and you know ducks and geese cupping up with metallica playing in the background and dudes high-fiving and do you know dudes being bros and it being acceptable and then here you are with the uplands with a fucking violin excuse my language and this soft music and this love sonnet of a guy walking the prairie with his dog and I tell that story because we can relate to that, but dude, the Uplands is dope and nobody watches an Upland film and says, damn dude, the Uplands is dope. Let's get it. And that's, that's this burn inside of me is like, when you hear fetching feathers, when you see one of my short films, when you watch me trade, when you listen to me talk, you're going to notice that your heart is palpitating at a higher level than it was before you watched it or listened to it. Right. And, and that's the point is that there is something inside the Uplands that if, if it fires me up like this, then why couldn't it fire somebody else up like this, right? And so as much as Fetching Feathers is me, you know, because I couldn't name my clothing line Anthony Farrow because I'm not Ralph Lauren, and nobody would have bought a fucking bird hunting shirt named Anthony Farrow, so I named it a Fetching Feathers. Um, but, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's where it was, man. The Uplands is dope as shit, and the dogs are awesome, and there's a lot of young dudes that are drinking bush lights, and singing honky tonk music around a campfire in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, right now, having the best time of their life chasing roosters and quail. Um, you know, and so for me, this is the idea, guys, is I'm mobile, right? So I was born in Kansas, I live in Colorado, but I hunt six or seven states a year. So I hunt Idaho, Oregon, Washington, Montana, North and South Dakota, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona in January for quail. All of these places is all public land. I'm not, I don't know, own land. I don't, I don't get to really get invited on, on private land very often. Um, but somebody's asking, okay, well, so how do you do it? You just open Onyx and go? Pretty much, yes. Also, if you just get a hold of the local fishing game, this is the best advice I can give any upland hunter right now, okay? You call the local fishing game in the town or a town close to where you're trying to hunt and you ask for the bird biologist. There's a bird biologist that covers all of these areas. Now the bird biologist is kind of tight-lipped. They're not just gonna tell you, yeah, hunt, you know, Crossroad, County Road 164 and Harrison. They're not gonna tell you that. But what they are gonna say is, hey, drought was really, really bad north of Highway 83. If you're gonna hunt the Southeast corner, make sure you hunt south of 83. The ag and the water was a lot better down there, right? So when for me, when I'm doing e-scouting is what people call it these days. I think that's what the kids call it. When you e-scout on the interwebs, what I do is I like to call them and then I find out, number one, drought. And if you just search drought maps, that'll help. But call the DNR, man. They'll put you on birds. And that's really how I've done it is I call them and I say, I'm coming in from out of town. I got 10 days. I don't want to waste a lot of time. I'm asking you to put me on birds, but maybe at minimum, tell me where not to go. And knowing where not to go is half the battle, quite honestly. Because um, if you're an upland hunter, you're going to drop the tailgate and let your dog run and your dog's going to do the rest. So just put me in some bird rich areas and kick dirt, you know? So. That is great. That is great advice, man. And, and people need to hear that because people are searching for information on um, you know, and where on, on how to, how to go about learning something new, because that's the thing with Upland game. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of people doing it. And the ones for me, you know, I'm a waterfowl hunter. I hunt big game, but I would love to get out there and go do something like that. Any opportunity I would get to go Upland game hunting over a dog would be unbelievable. And so exactly what you said, 
not knowing where to go is half the battle. And, um, man, that is just, that, that are just, those are just amazing tips that people need to know. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then let's get real. Cause you know, I'm more than just a bird hunter. This translates into being human, man. It's not always about knowing what you're good at, but knowing what you're bad at. I don't need to always know what I'm doing good at. I'm going to do those things. I need to know what I'm not doing great at, right? Tell me what not to do. Tell me where not to hunt. Half the battle sometimes is just realizing what not to do. Um, and once I started to realize that, a lot of the answers started to figure themselves out, both you know in life and, and in the hunting world, is you find out what ridge they're not on, and you don't hunt that ridge. You know, Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Yeah, that's great advice. That translates to, to big game hunting as well. That's a tactic I've used to the, my benefit in Wyoming for deer hunting and antelope hunting too. So, I mean, those resources are there for a reason, like call those folks. And they're, you know, in my experience, they've been extremely passionate about the animals that they study as well. Like, and I've had awesome conversations with these folks. Maybe they don't get enough calls to, to talk about, you know, talk about the drought or talk about, you know, the winter kill from, you know, the, the, the past season or something like that. So it's always beneficial. Talk to exactly. They're, they're, they're excited to talk to people because um, there's not enough people that actually call and ask to talk to the bird biologist. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like the guy who runs the camera is now on the other side of the camera and they don't know yeah, what yeah, to yeah. do. You know, yeah. it's the same deal. They're like, holy shit, you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you. And it's yeah. like, yes, let's go. Yeah. hundred percent, man. <laughs> Anthony, I got a question. This is a big change of gears here, but Scotty once told me, or uh, no, Bobby once told me whenever he goes hunting with his dogs, whenever he lets them out of the, out of the truck, the first thing that his dog Sarge does is run around like crazy and then take a big shit. He said, no matter what, that's, that's what he does every single time. He said, when you come up and you hunt with me, this is how it's going to go. That's step one. It, d- d- is that true to you too? Like father, like son, brother. <laughs> Every I told you, you're not gonna find somebody that's not gonna fucking agree to that. That uh, dog is so excited. On the truck a few times and take a shit in front of the floor too, buddy. <laughs> yeah, man, we refer to it as a kennel point, is what we okay. call it. We, when a dog shits in the field, we call it a kennel point. <laughs> kennel point. That's hilarious. All right, so it's a thing. Yeah, very much so a thing. Yeah. I wasn't making it up. I told you, man. It's been no, years. I believed you. I just didn't know. <laughs> Pretty common. That's funny as hell, Bobby. I love that shit, dude. Just call Sarge out, man. What the heck? Well, he's like, I never did it before. And like, what's like, he's like, don't leave any details out. What happens? I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you right now. He's going to know when we get about 15 miles away from the field and he's going to start whining like a turkey and you're going to start hearing the gargling and him going nuts in the back of the truck. Then he's gonna get out and he's just gonna start shitting, man. Like he's just gonna take like three or four shits, and then that then he'll get the hunting. Like, like then we got him getting shits out of the way. <laughs> nice, yeah, pretty common. What uh, what kind of dogs do you like to work with, man? What what, do you, what kind of dogs do you have? So I run uh, my three pointers are German short hairs. Okay. So I've got Smoke and Fuego, which are my stud males, and then I bred them multiple times, and then I kept a female out of Fuego last year. So his daughter's name is Tequila. So I have smoke fuego and tequila. And then I've got a field bred English cocker named Rowdy. And nice. Rowdy is like the dopest dog I've ever owned and worked with and been around. Granted, he's my dog, so I'm biased. But man, there's something about these field bred cocker spaniels that is infectious. Uh, it is it is like Mighty Mouse, man, like Scrappy-Doo. 
Uh, I love the underdog. I love people yeah. doubting you, what you look like. You know, this is something we all have dealt with sometime in our life. Um, so just me being weird, fetching feathers, I take things to another level because that's just what my brain does. Um, so it's personal, you know, Rowdy and I are the guys that will show up to the party, you know, tuxedo tea, you know, I'm formal, but I like to party. Um, and everybody will laugh at us. And at the end, you know, people will be asking us for the advice on, on how yeah. we did or how we hunted, you know, and not that that's a real scenario. Right. But, but I'm, I'm playing it yeah. in that's, that's the mentality of, you know, we show up and, and we go to work and, you know, Rowdy is, I don't know, 35 pound English cocker, little tiny legs, just retrieved, you know, his first six or so, seven or so ducks on the teal opener for my wife. So my wife shot her first teal. Rowdy retrieved all his teal off of his uh, marsh mat. Um, and it was just epic. And he'll retrieve mallards. He'll drag a Canada goose. He will hunt sage grouse, quail chucker. Dude, you name it, that dog is game. He is like the true – he's the truest ride or die I've ever had. And I love my short hairs, you know. Like smoke is the homie. I'm not the guy that's like, I love my dogs equally. Not me. I play favorite. Smoke is the homie. <laughs> Let's get that out on the table right now. Okay. Smoke takes precedence. If there's anybody sitting shotgun, it's Smokey Joe. Uh, everybody else, get your ass in the back. But uh, Rowdy is special and he's different. And I've never had a relationship with a dog like I have with Rowdy. And I've talked to a few other English Cocker owners and it seems like they're all very similar. You know, and so like when you hear English Cocker, most people think of the long haired, floofy you know show show dogs and that's what we have in america and most of the people that you see in the neighborhood these are field bred english cockers um and essentially what that means is it's the indigenous hunting lines without all the americanized show lines bred into it um so the coats are different and the hair is shorter um and their bodies their stature is a little bit different and their drive is extremely high uh, to that of the show style so uh it's it's pretty cool man uh, I love I love short hairs. Uh, I I really enjoy the cocker spaniel. Obviously, depending on uh, the dog, I really like working with setters. Mm. English setters on point when it's done right. Like, dude, that's the classic Americana upland dog. Is that long feathered English point? You know, English setter tail at noon and that flag flying. Like, dude, that's that's a hard image to to not smile at my least favorite dogs to train not that you asked but let's just throw it out there uh i'm not a big fan of the bearded breeds um the german wire hairs are aggressive typically the wire you know the males are kind of aggressive um and the wire hair pointing griffons are like snuffleupagus of bird dogs like <laughs> doped up like do 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 <laughs> I do. I can't. Uh, and I have, I've probably trained 60 of them this year. So yeah. all my, my, my listeners, I love, I love y'all <laughs> and your dogs but, and uh, your dogs <laughs> confession time. Not all of them. Uh, um, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vishlas, man, Vishlas are a conundrum for me. I talked about this recently. They're pretty soft dogs. If I typically get a dog that's gun shy, it's typically a Vishla. Um, but I have have one in the kennel that I just sent home that was, shy and scared and all the things and we worked her through my 90 day program and she ended up turning the corner and becoming a bad 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 dog man and when she's on point she was intense and the style was crazy and it was like it's it's hard and it, again i'm not talking bad on them it's the breeding it's what's happened throughout the lineage of breeding 
And a lot of those heavy hunting lines had just been bred out of the Vizslas. So it's hard to really find that natural instinct in them. Um, but there are some impeccable Vizslas out there and some people doing some fantastic breedings uh, that I've seen. And again, my first bird dog I ever shot a bird over was a Vizsla. And that dog was bad to the bone, dude. His name was Scar. And he had this like half face because uh, he was like birth issue. And like half of his face was just regular skin color, and no fur. And he was hard as hell to look at. But I think that was part of the allure is like he was like, you know, he was that ragged ass pirate that you wanted to fight next to you, you know, like <laughs> that was like you felt safe with Scar yeah. around because nobody wanted to get close because it was hard to look at, bro. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with you, Scar, but just don't touch the skin part because it feels a bit <laughs> like a scrotum. <laughs> uh, yeah man uh, i like i like all i mean i really do i like pointy dogs i like them i like english pointers i like setters i like gsps man i'm i'm just a dog guy i i like working with them all and quite honestly you know i i do oh i don't know 150 to 180 dogs in the nine months that i'm open okay uh yeah wow Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. It's, it's fun, dude. It's tiring. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. Within that I do, you know, eight, eight to 10 breeds a year. And so when you do that many different breeds, it's a lot like my single days in my twenties when I was dating and you learn how to approach each one based on where they grew up and what their falls and what their pros and their cons were. And how you finagle that conversation and the ones that you can be a little bit more forward and aggressive with, you could probably take out and have a couple shooters and, you know, have a, a good time. And there's other ones that you got to court and you got to go to the park and you got to take, you know, pictures and you got to put them on the stories <laughs> so you know that you're a thing. It's, a, it's the same as dating, right? And so when you get these soft dogs and then you get these hard drive dogs, the approach is very different. And, and something that I never considered as a dog trainer is this is a question that a lot of my clients ask me. Hey, Anthony, uh, I've got a German wire hair, uh, eight months old, female. First question, do you, have you trained a lot of German wire hairs? And I'm like, huh? Hmm. Hey, Anthony, got a you know, year and a half old pointing lab. You, you, you trained a lot of pointing labs. And so this idea of all these clients asking me very breed specific questions. And you would be silly to not think that you could just, oh yeah, this is my program and this is how I train and it works across the board from six months old to five years old and every breed under the sun, like it doesn't work that way. And so by having a very diverse kennel, it has made me a better trainer. It has made me a more patient trainer. It has made me a much more visual stimulant trainer where I am very focused and I'm looking at the psychology of the dog and the response of the dog in the moment when it hits the scent cone or when it gets pressure, was it the appropriate, you know, decision that I wanted the dog to make or did the dog peel out because of pressure? Was the pressure too high? Was the pressure late? It makes you a very, very visual, um, make, again, a student. I, I, this is what we started it with. I, I have become a student and it's easy for the first time for me to become a student because I'm absolutely in love with what I do. And, and, and understanding these dogs and these dogs quirks. And I, I, the idea guys, this is the, this is the aha moment for, for most dog trainers. I get these people that call me in, in a lot of moments of desperation. You can hear it in their voice in the very first phone call within 30 seconds, I can hear in their voice, the, the desperation of I need help, whether it's from the hunting standpoint or whether it's the obedience or separation anxiety or neuroses with chewing or digging or barking or, 
all of these things that dogs do, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm affecting families for 10 years, 12 years, however long this dog lives with what, with my training. Dude, that's the light bulb. That's the the aha moment for me. That's what fulfills my that that's where my cup is filled. Is that when these these owners come back and they see me after all their visits and they come and get their final product at the end of my three month program, and to see the look on their face. And if I had a dollar every single time that a client picked their dog up and said, "Is that my dog?" We'd be going to Sizzlers right now, and all of us eating on meat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I that moment, everybody, I, this is not even, my, I can't believe this, Anthony. This is the best thing. This feels so great. They get home two or three days after having their dog back and I get that message or the, the video of their dog on the place board in the living room while they're eating supper and their dog's behaving and doing the things that I taught them. That picture that you see of grandpa, dad, son, and dog out hunting, that's a generational picture that they're going to frame and have and tell stories about for years, 30, 40, 50 years, as long as those generations live. And my name was never mentioned in that story. That is the moment. That's the, that's the trainer moment, right? Like you did it. I, I don't, I don't need to be recognized, but what I do know is that that, that hunt happened because of the training that I did with that dog. Yeah. What a feeling, man. What that's a feeling, incredible. what a lasting feeling, man. A 10 year result, something that I did for three months, last few 10 years. Wow. Man, that's an impact on people, and that shit fires me up, man. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't have the ability to have that kind of impact, and you know what you're doing. I'm glad you see the impact there, and and the effect that can have on like families. Like that's that's massive, and what you're doing is awesome. I mean, it's so cool. It's so inspiring, man. And you know, obviously, I mean, we're, we've rolled up over an hour here, and we're obviously going to have to have a part two, man. Probably just on the North American Slam. I mean, if you're down, Anthony, we'd love to get you back on here and dive yeah, just into that. I, man. We got this was an hour and some change of intro, and obviously, you're going to cut out and, and edit and do what we need to do here. Um, and I think there's some probably some riffraff that you can, might be able to take out. We can part, you know, the intro in with maybe he says Scotty says no. <laughs> it's all <awesome. laughs> oh, oh, man. Gold. Let, let the boy watch. Yeah, yeah. We, we like the people the want. Yeah, we like the yeah. word around here a lot. We so like that's that the word. that's the intro. That's the passion, you know, from the clothing line to the training and you know, just a, a touch on the hunting, but yeah, you know, to talk about the North America Slam and how many species there are and how many I've already shot and and where where I've harvested those birds, uh, I think there's a there's a lot of juice uh, to be had in all of those. So absolutely, we'll schedule it. We'll get you back on here, man, and uh, yeah, we'll make it happen. We'll take it as as many episodes as it takes. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. Right on, but, uh, man. I appreciate you guys having me, man. It's like I said, yeah, uh, I, I thank you at the beginning, and I want to make sure you guys know I'm thankful now. Um, an opportunity to talk about the uplands and and bird dogs and and what makes me tick, man. That's I can't I can't thank you guys enough because again, this is one of those opportunities that you don't always get every day, and it's an opportunity for people to hear me and and what I'm about. And yo, dude, that's rad. So I'm yeah, thankful. absolutely, man. Scotty, you got any closing thoughts for us, man? Oh man. So many closing thoughts. No, uh, dude, Anthony, <laughs> uh, I love you like a brother already, even after this hour together and, uh, man, you hit on a lot of things, you know, I, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I, I got, I got a German short hair pointer like 10 years ago and he was wild. And, uh, 
and I had him for a year. I brought him to work with me and, um, he was going to be a house dog, but he was, he was wild and he wasn't meshing with the family and the young kids and everything. And I wish I had a guy like you around to go to, uh, because, uh, I ended up having to give him back to the kennel and it was one of the saddest days of my life having to give him back, you know, and they turned him into an amazing rental dog. And I know he touched a lot of lives that way, um, working out in the field. And I know he, he, he turned into an amazing dog, man. And, uh, and dude, I just loved having you on, man. I love listening to everything you have to say and I can't wait to listen to more. Oh yeah, man. Thank you. Bobby, what you got, man? Yeah. You know, I have closing thoughts on this. So, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear you and your passion for the Upland community because I've sat on a lot of these podcasts and being someone that, you know, that doesn't elk hunt or that doesn't travel out West. And that does pretty much so, you know, my main hunting is Upland. I can feel the passion from you and everything. And it was really cool. I, I was sitting here grinning the whole time, just smiling, listening to you talk, man. Cause I know I, I related with everything that you said. I'm like, yeah, like hundred percent. And uh, I think my closing, my main closing thought might be fighting words here, but I have to know your answer on this question. And it would be a simple yes or no. We can edit this part out if you want. In no science, no, none of that. In your opinion, is there a difference between a Deutschstrathar and a German wire hair pointer? Absolutely. <laughs> there is. You say yes. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's, that's good enough for me to hear because those are fighting words in the upland community when you call someone's uh, – German wire hair pointer, uh, not a, you know, you know what I mean? So it's yeah, uh, yes. very much so different related, but different cousins. It's like, you know, the Lannisters, but not creepy. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Settled. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Hell yeah, boys. I appreciate y'all. Yeah. Thank you, man. And uh, listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. Oh, Anthony, dude, where can people find you on Instagram? Yeah, sure. Uh, my Instagram is fetching underscore feathers. That's more of like my personal dogs, my personal life, a little sprinkle of my wife in there uh, on the occasion. And then uh, my training, strictly training and client dogs is fetching underscore feathers underscore the kennel. So fetching feathers and then fetching feathers, the kennel. And then uh, fetching-feathers.com is my uh, website where you can check out some of my photography and just a little bit of my writing and, and some of my passion. Not outstanding enough of it here <laughs> <laughs> outstanding man well thanks again and listeners we will talk to you guys next week